So I got to admit before we read our scripture that it's a tough morning to be in a pulpit today. There's a lot to be said and unsaid. I worried about what to say and I was looking at this scripture today thinking in the midst of this world that we live in and this broken world full of violence, what would it be like if we could get back to seeing Christ in others? So today I'm going to stick with what I had planned to preach this morning in that context. And that's the beauty of our gospel lesson this morning. It's three short, easy verses, but what I love about the gospel is it has a way of convicting us, of flipping things upside down, of making things that seem innocent be convicting. So today on this weekend, when we kick off summer and talk about hospitality and welcome, hear these challenging words of scriptures to us today. I read to you from Matthew's gospel, the 10th chapter, verses 40 through 42. Listen now for God's word to us today. Whoever welcomes you welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and whoever welcomes a righteous person in the name of a righteous person will receive the reward of the righteous. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water to the least of the little ones in the name of a disciple, truly I tell you, none of those will lose their reward. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as I was driving home from St. Louis after a long week of teaching last week, I stopped at a Dairy Queen. And I should share with you that my family loves Dairy Queens. And I really miss Dairy Queen. In fact, I haven't figured out why there are not more here in Memphis. But in Kansas City, where we lived before, we lived about a mile from the local Dairy Queen. And this time of year, when the weather was nice, we would make a pilgrimage, several of us neighbors, up the street to sit outside and eat ice cream together and enjoy each other's company. So it was a beautiful summer day, not much like today, and we decided that we would gather up our kids and make them march down there. My oldest daughter was eager to eat her blizzard of the month, and as I said, by no means was this the first time we had ever adventured down to the Dairy Queen. Everything seemed like a normal trip, a normal afternoon, a normal regular time for ice cream. And since it was a nice night outside, and since it was summertime and ice cream was abounding, we decided to sit outside this particular evening, out there on the nice porch on the veranda that overlooked the sidewalk and the main thoroughfare in the town that we lived in. And sitting out there instead of our usual booth in the corner, everything felt routine, everything felt nice, everything felt orderly and peaceful. And as we sat there eating our ice cream together, I noticed out of the corner of my eye a man walking down the street, strolling along. And as we continued talking, I could see he was picking up his pace, and I knew what was going to happen. I watched as he ambled down the street, crossed the sidewalk, walked up the hill, came up to the porch, and in no time was standing at our table. The man walked over, and in a deep voice, he asked us if any of us had any change to spare in our pockets. And so each of us dug around, and in those days, we actually had change in our pockets to see what we could give. And the man stood there in a few more seemingly minutes of silence, 
Some of the other guests on the patio began to look. Some went inside. And honestly, at that moment, I was waiting for somebody to go get the manager or call the police or tell this bum to get out of here. But the police and the manager didn't come. And so we invited the man to sit at table with us, and we began to have a conversation. He sat down, and we began to chat about the local baseball team, a little bit about football. You can't not talk about football. And then we talked about his favorite movies, how one of my friends at the table made him think of a movie star he had seen before, and then the not-so-friendly temperament of the neighborhood and the police. And after what seemed like hours in our conversation, it took a quick and abrupt turn. He looked at us and he said in his eyes, do you think I'm just some crazy old man begging for change? And stunned, we answered no. And what followed was something that I won't forget that I remembered as I read the scripture today. He turned and looked with his tired eyes to us and he said, you're the only people who've talked to me today. You're the only people who ever made me feel welcome around here. Then he got up, he smiled, and he disappeared into the evening as fast as he appeared. And we sat there in silence, my wife and I and my children, with all of our theological education, wondering if we had just entertained angels, hearing the words of Matthew echoing in our ear, whoever welcomes you welcomes me. Who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. And friends, I'm not special. I don't want to seem like a hero in this story because I don't know who the real giver in this story was, but I know in that moment we were in the presence of God Almighty. We felt what it was like to be welcomed and to welcome someone without pretense as someone would welcome Christ at the table. And so today, as we engage this text in this world, I'm thinking about the word hospitality. I'm back down here in the South. That is what it is all about, hospitality. And you think it would come natural to us who love the Lord God with all our heart, our mind, our soul. But the truth is genuine biblical hospitality doesn't come often these days and it doesn't come easy because you see real hospitality not just smiles, but hospitality as God intended it is more than words, more than pleasantries and formalities. It is a spiritual practice. And too often, instead of welcome, we find ourselves erecting walls and barriers that divide us. If you look around today, walls of race, of religion, of class, of gender, of even how we worship and who we worship goes on and on. Our human brokenness, our pride, our desire to get ours before we give to others all inhibit us from welcoming others the way that Christ would welcome us, of practicing true Christian hospitality and welcome. So what do we mean when we use this word hospitality and what does Matthew say to us in these three verses today? For most of us, if we think about hospitality, we think about words of comfort, of manners, of refreshments, things that our grandmother used to tell us to do. The word hospitality conjures a myriad of images. If I ask you to close your eyes and not fall asleep, you would think of restful places, places that give us relief, places that take away the cares of our everyday life. 
places that are usually not home, places that make us feel at home. And usually these images include other people, family, friends, church family, people that we know, people that we like and love. When we think about hospitable and welcome spaces, they're not full of strangers or people who don't look or act or talk like us. It's not full of people who make us feel uncomfortable or uneasy. So in these three little innocuous verses, Matthew challenges us, as Jesus would challenge us, to reorient our understanding of hospitality and welcome, to be able to see Christ in others instead of just seeing ourselves. And this means the practice of sincere welcome, of welcoming someone with more than platitudes and formality, is practicing what Christ has called us to practice to. It means that we create a real welcome with outstretched arms where the table is set the same way that God sets this table for all of us each and every week. And it's then and only then that we can truly experience the power and presence of God. And I know I'm sitting here in a robe and I'm preaching and you're sitting there the same way I would be going, dear preacher, I wonder if Jesus knew our tendencies I wonder if he really meant that we could have welcome but or welcome if instead of everybody. Certainly Jesus did not mean that we have to fling open and welcome every single soul, especially those who don't appreciate the effort. You think about it. The social functions we gather for, our birthday parties, our family reunions, our dinner parties, even our own presbytery or church meetings and gatherings, are given for people that we know, people who are part of the club or the tribe, people who give us some sort of benefit. If we're honest with ourselves, strangers are not always wanted or welcomed in these spaces. And that's the problem today, friends. Hospitality and welcome has changed from biblical witness to a service industry. Hotels will give you hospitalities, but you have to be able to pay the bill and the room. Restaurants will cater to your every whim, but you better pay the bill and leave a big tip. Unconditional welcome has been replaced with your welcome, but only if. And many times, friends, we're unaware of our lack of hospitality. Even we as good church people are not immune. We know too many stories about people in worship with one another, stories of people who would rather walk away in anger than to sit next to the stranger or welcome somebody from a different point of view. And this lack of hospitality goes well beyond the walls of our churches. We see it in our daily lives if we're honest and we confess to ourselves. Perhaps we acknowledge other people or we keep our heads down. Perhaps we smile or don't. We might fail to say please or thank you to the person serving us. And as Matthew convicts us today, we realize that too often we don't see Christ in that mirror reflected back. But what if things were different? What if we had the ability to lift up that mirror and see Christ with eyes and hearts unfettered? Now, I grew up in a big church, a really big church, about 4,500 members in Raleigh, North Carolina. And we had this beautiful point at the front of the church when you walked out the sanctuary. And every year during the summertime, we would have refreshments out on the point. And you know church refreshments, watered-down lemonade and stale cookies and some coffee, right? Good, hearty fellowship. 
And each Sunday, a different class in the church would have the responsibility for setting up the fellowship time. And this particular Sunday, it was the first grade and kindergarten Sunday school classes who were responsible for refreshments. So the kids got their parents to drop them off an hour early, driving their teachers insane, and they were so ready to go out there and serve lemonade to everybody. They didn't have enough napkins, the lemonade didn't have enough ice, the cookies were barely out of their package. But church was over and everybody was filing out. The Sunday school teachers and the ushers stood there in utter dismayment at what they saw. Here were these children going up to the table, grabbing this half-prepared lemonade, forgetting the napkin, forgetting a cookie, and running out of the church to offer lemonade to everybody and anybody. It didn't matter if they were dressed for church, if they were a neighborhood passerby. They were even trying to walk up to the street and offer lemonade to the cars that were driving on the road. It was a complete and abhorrent mess. It wasn't decently, it wasn't orderly, and that's not how it was supposed to be done. These children were making a mockery of the practice of fellowship and hospitality. But you see, those children taught us a lesson. Who wouldn't want a cup of watery lemonade and a stale cookie from a child greeting you with a smile? And there again, the words of Matthew's gospel, whoever gives even a cup of cold water to these little ones in the name of a disciple, I tell you, they shall not lose their reward. You see, that lemonade and that child are a compelling example for us here in the church. We're all in need, especially these days, of those kinds of gracious and loving actions. Actions that let us know that we are loved and cared for, not for any particular reason other than we're a child of God and we are in their presence. How many of us adults here today still have the ability to radically welcome someone the way those little children did? What if our churches, what if our world, what if our lives recapture that ability to see value and welcome in everybody, even if it wasn't so decently and in order? You see, the actions of those children exemplify what today's text calls us to do, to be welcome and loving with radical exuberance, not, well, the preacher told me we have to love everybody. This type of daily witness is imperative if we're going to transform this world, if we're going to take back a world that is broken, we have to relearn that skill. And it's easy all at once to command people to be hospitable, but it's so difficult to walk outside those doors and live it to live in a world that says, don't be that. We live in a world and a country and a city that tells us that hospitable space, that welcoming space is dangerous space. And instead of being encouraged, we go to our comfort zone and we go where it is safe. But as the world and sadly our own Presbyterian churches become increasingly divided, increasingly angry, the need to practice that radical welcome, that hospitality is not just something to talk about. It's a moral and spiritual imperative given to us by Christ himself. And so, too, must we greet and accept one another even when it is dangerous and even when it is an unsafe space. And I know, friends, sitting here this morning, it is much easier said than done. But I want to share with you one final story, a story that I encountered in my life that God really will reward us if we're willing to take the risk especially where it's least expected. Prior to going into ministry, I had a chance to travel to Belfast, Northern Ireland. And for those of you that don't remember, in the early 90s, Belfast was still struggling with sectarian violence. 
the IRA and the UDF and all of those groups were still shooting and bombing one of each other. And on that trip, I met a woman in her late 70s, I guess early 80s, named Helen. And Helen was our host on this particular trip, and we went over to her house having a lovely dinner. And as we finished our dinner and began to eat dessert, Helen told us the story of her life. Helen's older brother, Bill, had worked for the Ulster Police Department, the British forces. And as he was going to work one day, received a letter that basically said that his life was in danger. And he continued to go to work and took all the safety protocols. But he met with his family one night around dinner and he shared the news and he told them, if something happens to me, promise me that you will not let my life continue the cycle of violence. And Helen shared shortly after that night on his way to work that day, about a week later, Bill was gunned down by an IRA gunman, killed in cold blood, leaving behind a wife and his children. And Helen had dedicated her life to living out the mission of her brother of not letting violence continue. So fast forward uh, 10 years later, we're gathered in her living room, her telling this, this story. The next day, we traveled to a town to meet with the local officials who were telling us about some of the reconciliation work they were doing between Catholic and Protestant communities. And Helen and I were sitting in the room having tea, as one does in a formal setting in the UK, when Helen came over and grabbed my arms, shaking in a death grip. I turned to her and I said, Helen, what's the matter? What's going on? And she continued grabbing my arm and she looked across the room and she pointed and she said, you see that man in the corner? And I said, which one? That one. Yes, I see him, Helen. That's the man who shot and killed my brother. He was just released from prison last week. I didn't know what to say or what to do in that moment, but before I could do anything, Helen looked at me and she said, I made Bill a promise and I'm going to keep that promise. So Helen went over to the table, shaking and fearful, tears streaming down her eyes, grabbed a cup of tea and as they call it, a biscuit or cookie. And she walked over to the man and stood in front of him and introduced herself and said, my name is Helen. You're the man who was responsible for the murder of my brother. I should hate you with every bone in my body. I should curse you to the day you die. But I made a promise that I would not let this cycle continue. So she took a cup of tea and a cookie to the man who had killed and murdered her brother and said, welcome, and gave him a cup of tea and a cookie. The two of them sat in the corner and talked for an hour in tears. And I share this story because out of that movement came a group called the Nexus Group that began working with Catholic and Protestant group, which 10 years later led to a bunch of politicians getting together to finally sign the peace accord. So right there in that moment, somebody who was willing to practice hospitality, willing to practice welcome, willing to practice the reconciliation of Christ, literally transformed the world in her community. And as I look out amongst all your faces this morning, I bet there's a bunch of stories in here where you have been like Helen, where you have been like the children, where you have been sitting at Dairy Queen. And so in this broken and fearful world, I challenge us today, whether it be a homeless person or the person next to us or somebody we see at the traffic light today, to leave this place and begin to transform this hurt and broken world into hospitable space into sacred space, into welcoming space. I challenge us and I pray for us not to return to our daily lives unchanged, but to go out and be radical and bold disciples. It won't be easy, it won't be fun, but it's got to be done. So today, as we prepare to go to our burgers and our picnics and all the things in between, 
Let's go down into that world and let Matthew's gospel ring in our hearts. Whoever welcomes you welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me, the one who sent me. Thanks be to God. Amen.